0: A podcast we are your hosts carrie we and kelly mcveigh thanks for joining us today if you check the show notes you will see there a link to join our newsletter we're sending out newsletters twice a month now and we welcome you to the greener grass family today we have kent hebel and mariah gibbs they are from the michael dean gibbs foundation and uh Such an inspiring story of people helping our small hometown community, all inspired by Michael Gibbs, who passed away from ALS. So, so excited to share with you guys this interview. Okay, let's get started.
1: I am thrilled that we have two people that I feel like were a big part of my high school years, I should say, growing up, Kent Hebel and Mariah Gibbs. And I am excited to learn a little bit more about the Michael Gibbs Foundation. I would love first, and either of you can jump in whenever, because I'd love to know, Kent, how you got involved as well. But Mariah, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about Michael First of all, because
2: I think that's where the story really starts. Um, When I met Michael, he lived in New York City and he was studying film. He was super gregarious in the fact that he um, wasn't afraid to like try new things. And um, he loved people and being in the city. Um, So I would go and visit Michael. After meeting him and we just had so much fun, he would show me different places in New York City. And then we convinced Michael to move to Ohio. He moved in with us and we lived in a condo with two bedrooms. And we just got married and got pregnant. And Michael lived with us in a two bedroom condo. Basically, it was a two bedroom condo with a living area and a small kitchen. And we really got to know Michael um, through just having him live with us. And he started a banking job and he worked his way up in Chase and still um, loved watching films. But he kind of gave up that lifestyle and um, was wanted to become very active in our community. But one of the things that Michael always encouraged was helping others, he, he, his purpose in life was to make sure that others were being helped, um, and that everybody got a fair chance at life, especially extracurricular activities. He had a passion, um, from arts to, to golfing, to basketball, and he wanted kids to be able to participate in anything they wanted to be into to participate in. And he didn't want financial, um like finances to get in the way he thought that everybody should be able to be involved in those things when london was born and we named london london michael our first child adam and i um about a year after michael moved in with us we had our first child and we named him london michael um after michael and um they became very 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 close and then we moved into a bigger house altogether and Michael had his own space and he commuted and um, continued making his way up in the banking world. And he noticed and we noticed that he started to slur his speech. And we were like, "Hmm, I wonder what that is. And then he'd bite his tongue once in a while. And then he noticed also that he couldn't turn the key It was hard for him to turn the car on like to with this key. And he also noticed that opening jars was becoming more difficult. And um, so he started to go to doctors to kind of try to figure out what was going on. And if you're familiar with ALS, it takes a while to get a diagnosis. Um, There's not like a particular thing you could do. Like you can't take a blood test and say, okay, you have ALS. Um, So you have to go through a bunch of screenings. Um, And then I remember the exact day that he came home and told us he had ALS. I had just taken London to his little music class. He was around one and a half years old. And he called me up to his room and I watched in his big blue eyes start getting tears telling me that he had ALS. And as you know, ALS isn't curable. And in fact, it's a disease that... The prognosis of living after diagnosis is two to five years. And um, basically, with ALS, what happens is it's a motor neuron disease, and you lose function of everything except for your eyes, your eyelids. Um, But your brain is still functioning. Um, But you just can't move your arms and your legs and your feet. You can't speak. So it robs you of a lot of things. I will say that Michael stayed positive through his entire journey, and that's something that is very admirable. Um, So after diagnosis, um, he decided he needed to move in with his parents um, so that they could take care of him because it was um, too much for us to do with having kids and working. So Michael moved to Michigan and we would go back once a month um, to visit him and to kind of help out. Um, So we watched him deteriorate, but he never lost his spirit. So he eventually lost all function. Um, He had a machine that he could type on when his hands were working so he could speak. And then eventually he moved to an eye gaze machine, which um, he was able to speak through his eyes by blinking his eyelids and um the eyes gaze machine would speak for him so he was still able to communicate which was um nice having modern technology i can't imagine having als if we weren't able to or if he wasn't able to have something to communicate Um, so michael continued to fight and fight and fight and um he wanted to be go on a ventilator however he had some episodes before he had the choice to be on a ventilator so he we had a doctor we called a doctor in and they said it was just anxiety but it really was that oxygen wasn't going to his brain um so One day we get a call that he's being transferred by ambulance to um, uh, the hospital because he basically lost consciousness. And after many tests, we found out that he was declared brain dead. So we took him off of all life support. So because that was his wish. Um, And at that point, he was brain dead. Um, and, uh, his family surrounded him as he passed away. And, um, yeah, so he was, so he was a lover of life and a lover of all things, nature related and sports related and art related. And in fact, um, his hospice room was, uh, the, the weeping willow room Um, and he loved trees and it happened to be every room in his hospice, the the hospice facility was named after a tree. And, um, he would sit, one of the things he was still able to do was sit in the sunroom at his mom's house and watch the birds fly in and out and, um, watch them land on trees and the, and the bird feeder that stayed right outside his window. And this is a side note, but, um. He the last Christmas he was alive, he gave Jude a book and it was a children's book book. And the title of the book is called Bertolt. And if you don't know it, you should check it out. It's beautifully written and illustrated. Um, but it's about a little boy who is a loner. He doesn't really have any friends. And um, his only friend is this tree that he names Bertolt. And every day he would go to Bertolt and climb up in his branches and watch over his community. And he would see people playing and people falling in love and people working. And he always wished that it could be him. Um, But he was also okay with the peace that he had with Bertolt. And he'd come back and forth and back and forth to visit Bertolt. And one day he noticed. That Bertolt wasn't looking the same as all the trees, and spring had sprung, and he wasn't getting leaves. It was there, The Bertolt wasn't looking so pretty, but the other trees sur- surrounding him were, and so he had to admit to himself that Bertolt died, and um, but he was steadfast in keeping Bertolt alive. So he went to a lost and found and collected many, many pairs of mittens, all different colors. And he went back to Bertolt and hung all the mittens on Bertolt's branches. And the mittens represented the leaves. And he kept Bertolt alive by putting all those mittens on him and making sure that he had color in life. And uh, just like Michael, I believe that he lives on through our Michael Dean Gibbs Foundation. And just like the book, it showed that Bertolt lives on through this little young boy who, um, protected and loved him and kept his legacy alive. And I think that's what we are doing with, um, the Michael Dean Gibbs foundation and the parallels from the book, the last book he gave Jude, he gave it to him on Christmas, December 25th. And he died a couple weeks later, um, and so I think the parallels between his life and this book are just so great and that he wanted to live on and he is living on through this foundation. Okay,
1: well, just so you know, I'm a mess over here. <laughs> um, I feel like that like you couldn't have said any of that. I never do this. Well, maybe once, but <laughs> maybe one other one i've cried a little but not like this it was like the cry when you're trying not to cry loudly when you're listening um yes i feel like it is you could not have you know shared michael in more beautiful of a way i feel like if i know he heard that and i feel like it's mm-hmm. just such a testament to his life that you're doing this so now i'm going to get it together and the book Now everyone has to go get the book. I'm going to go get the book too. Okay, so. It's absolutely a beautiful book. It's just amazing that
2: he got that book. And how old was he, Mariah? So he was in his early 40s when he was diagnosed. And he died, I believe he was 46 when he died. And yeah, that was the last. So he died right before his birthday. And and I also should mention that Michael is a twin. He has a twin brother. Okay. Um, yeah. So Mark is his twin brother. Um, and, um, yes, Michael what loved giving and he always gave the best gifts and he did his research on, and it was one of the last Facebook messages I have from Michael is about this book and how proud he was to give this book to Jude. And, um, I mean, and he had no idea that a couple weeks after giving the book, he was going to die and so it's it really is a testament of who he is and his legacy i also
1: love that you and adam really started your marriage um and your family with him being such a close part and just really there and that you got the opportunity to share life with him in that way before he got sick
2: it was we feel very grateful for that because i i you know, living in two different states, you don't get to see the people you love as often as you want to. And, um, I mean, we FaceTimed, like I said, almost every other night and he would sit and eat his dinner, um, while we would chat with him, but it wasn't the same, obviously. And then, um, yeah, with a little coaxing and, and some encouragement, we got him to come to Ohio and kind of start over, um, if you will, because he was in the, he was a bartender and in films and, um, and he completely did a 180 and started a uh, life in banking. And, um, and in fact, right before he, um, got diagnosed with ALS, he became what, what they wanted to promote him to manager. Um, and it was literally right before he got diagnosed.
1: Okay. So ALS, I feel like, I mean, everything you explained, horrific, awful. Um, Yes. There's no words to say. Like, I just can't imagine. Yes, technology. I feel like I'm so glad that you had that ability. He had that ability to communicate and still feel like he, you said his spirit, like he was aware, mm-hmm. but still able to like talk and share and all of those things. So I feel like that is incredible. But has there been any, um, you know, breakthrough since then, or is this something that they're still doing? I mean, I'm sure people remember the ALS challenge, the ExoBucket mm-hmm. challenge. But is there, you know, is there any progress in that area?
2: There's progress, but progress is very slim and again, like the ALS ice bucket challenge was so incredible because it raised so much money um, for research. And you can imagine that ALS goes underfunded, um, because it's such a rare disease, but I feel like it's becoming more and more, um, people are becoming more and more aware of ALS through Stephen Gleason and Stephen Hawking. Both of those, um, people have done a a tremendous job of sharing their story and promoting awareness and funds to help with research and to help people who have ALS. Stephen Gleason has a wonderful organization. And if you don't know him, he he was played in the NFL. um, And he helps people, his foundation helps people with ALS if they need some sort of technology. Like that's how we got one of Michael's, um, I, I don't remember if it was the eye gaze machine or another machine, but that's how we got the funding for one of his machines. And the other one we got through a GoFundMe page that people were super generous and giving and we were able to um, get the technology he needed because getting technology is very difficult. People come out and assess you and if you can still type even a little bit you might not qualify for the AI gaze mach- machines, so it was you. Your insurance won't pay for yeah. it. So um, through the GoFundMe page and through the Stephen Gleason Foundation, we were able to get Michael the things that he needed. Um, so yeah, Stephen Gleason and Stephen Hawking are two people that have really shared um, their stories and made ALS a lot more prevalent. And unfortunately, it's still underfunded and a lot of research hasn't occurred. Um, Or I don't know if I should say a lot of research hasn't occurred, but it still hasn't there hasn't been a significant breakthrough. Okay, so I love that full
1: circle, um, even that the GoFundMe page that, you know, they're there was help in that sense for Michael, but the in turn you turned around and you're giving and I love the concept of the mittens on the tree, keeping the tree alive, alive forever, and that you really dived into the things that Michael cared about um, in the community. And I also love that he was a part of the community um, for some time, and that that's the community that you're giving back to.
2: Yeah, so Kent and I grew up in Licking County and we feel that, um, we feel very grateful and Kent can speak to this too for the opportunities we had growing up. Um, We were able to participate in all sorts of sports and plays and choir and, and clubs and pretty much we were able to experience anything we wanted to experience. But we know that in Licking County, that is not the same, um, That that is not, not everybody's able to do that. Right. Um, in Newark, 50% of the population is on free and reduced lunch. Um, and with things like playing to play, or paying to play sports, and I mean, you both are dancers, Carrie and yeah. Kelly, you know how expensive it is to be involved in something like that. Yeah. Um, and so it, a lot of people aren't given the opportunity to do things that they might love. And um, Kent can speak to this a little bit, but um, I think that uh, we have a lot of neighboring uh, counties that are underprivileged and, um, and they aren't able, a lot of the kids aren't able to participate in things that would keep them, you know, out of trouble and research shows that if kids are involved in something an extracurricular activity that the crime rate and their grades crime rate is lower and grades are better self-esteem better you know all of those things coincide
1: no i totally i totally agree and i i I'm sad to hear those statistics about Nork. I'm al- I'm almost not s- totally surprised, but you're right. All of those things, and I think things are even more expensive than when we were in school um, to even play soccer or volleyball. All those things do cost so much, and I do think um, participating in extracurricular activities keeps them from being, you know, home in whatever life they could have, but also friendships that they. You know, get from those organizations. And I also think it helps with grades in the sense that they are a part of community and they want to keep their grades up in a different way um, because they have a passion or a love for something. So, and Mariah, you being a teacher, and I have to say, again, outside perspective from afar, one of the best, I think. Um, And I also have watched you with your boys. So I know what kind of loving person you are, but I'm sure that you see a little bit of that firsthand.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, not only, you know, so my husband and I try to really embrace ourselves in the community too. So we coach outside of um, being a teacher and a financial advisor. Adam and I coach soccer and baseball. And we try to um, make sure that our boys are in something, always in something. And um, we definitely see the difference extracurriculars can play in a in a child. Um, Just boosting confidence and understanding those social emotional skills that are super important. And that should be, you know, learned at a very young age. And so getting involved in something at three, at four, at five is so important because you're learning how to interact with others. Right. And then I know you have inclusion, empowerment,
1: change maker grant. Those are like Mm -hmm. your three pillars. Um, And maybe you can explain that a little bit more. But how did you you know, come upon those three pillars. I mean, I think you've mentioned a lot of the reasons in a way. And then tell us a little bit about the foundation and how you raise money to actually, you know, do these things and give back to the community.
2: Kent, you're on, buddy. (laughs) It's Kent's moment.
3: I can definitely take that on. So as some background, I spent a couple years in Los Angeles uh, t- working at an after-school program, and I worked with high school and middle school kids one-on-one. And I remember one of the kids; he wanted to go to a science camp um, that summer, and it was going to cost his family five hundred dollars. And he couldn't go to the science camp because his family couldn't afford it. And to me, that was that was devastating. And, and years later, when I think about that, I think wow, If what if that kid could have gone to science camp? What if he had grown up to invent a cure for ALS? And because he could, his family couldn't afford it, our, uh, we as a society are going to miss out on the things he could have done as a scientist. So that was really impactful for me. And then when Michael passed away, it really came full circle that we really wanted to push his legacy forward. So... We thought about some ways that we could do that in the community, and we thought about three different ways to do that. So the first thing that we do is we provide funds for kids to participate in activities, whether it's because they have a proven passion or prior success in the activity, or whether it's because they just have a desire to try something new. and. Mariah and Adam always speak of Michael as somewhat of a renaissance man because he was just involved in so many different activities. And those activities really gave him the skills and outlook in life that I think that would benefit kids. The second thing that we do is we provide funding for supports and interventions for kids with mental or physical disabilities. Uh, I think again of Michael, who wasn't able to access through insurance, the eye gaze machine that would allow him to communicate, and he had to go out and raise money, or we had to go out and raise money for that. Um, We don't want kids to be in that position because of a disability that they might have. So we help fund those things. And then the third thing that we do, and this is one of our newest initiatives, which I'm really proud of and really loved seeing that we do, we provide grants for kids to go out there and make a change in the community if they see a problem and they want to address it. You know, there's grants for organizations and adults, but there's not a lot of grants for kids to apply for. So we provide those kinds of things. And I just think about some of the 30 plus kids that we've helped in the past few years and thinking about them really reaffirms that our values and what we're doing are really important. I mean, I, I think about the foster mom who has two foster kids who are siblings and, and they're young and they they were struggling with socializing with other kids because of what they what they had gone through um, in their family and in the foster system. And that mom wanted to provide them those skills and send them to a summer camp, but she couldn't afford to do that because foster parents are only given so much money from the state and county. And, and we were able to provide that funding. Uh, I also think about the kid uh, who had some behavioral issues and his family wanted to help him with some animal therapy so he could um, socialize with animals and help with his behavior and wouldn't have been able to do that without the funding from us and from the community who supports us. And I also think about one thing that we're doing very, very uh, recently. uh, There's a school in Lincoln County and they have a place where kids or families can go if they need food or clothes or toiletries because either they can't afford it or maybe they forgot to bring their lunch that day. And it's available throughout the year for kids to access it. And we had an applicant who really saw that and wanted to take that project to the next level, but needed some funding to to make that happen. And uh, because of that kids initiative and our funding from the community, we were we've been able to help her take that to the next level. So When I think about that and all of the other kids who have done baseball or dance or music or swim lessons, um, it really reminds me that Michael's legacy is so important and it makes me really proud of the work that we're doing.
1: Even you mentioning all of that, Kent, it feels like, and I go back to the mittens, which I shouldn't go back to the mittens on the tree, but Mariah gave me the visual. You're this money that's coming in and that you're giving, you're able to spread it out to all these different people. And I feel like you're having um, a greater impact because you're doing it in that way. And so I love that you have all of these stories of people that the organization or the foundation, I should say, has already helped. How do people apply? And how do you kind of dive into, um, you know, helping those applicants and selecting?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. So, our application is available year-round on our website, michaeldeangibbs.org. And we have the three different awards that we talked about, the Changemaker Grant, the Inclusion Award, and the Empowerment Scholarship. And those are available, the applications are available on our website. And we select usually around five to maybe 10 different scholarship winners um, every quarter. And the application is a simple form that would probably take someone around two to five minutes. And then depending on whether they get to the next round, we will do an interview with them. And it's so fun doing these interviews with these kids and these families and to see how excited they are about the activity that they want to pursue and to learn about these families. It's been a great privilege. Um, and our awards range from any, anything from $50 to take uh, an initial class to $2,500 to do something more extensive.
1: That's beautiful. And I feel like that's a lot, a quarter, Kent. I feel like for our community, that really has to be making a difference. Um, I am surprised. I shouldn't be, but I'm surprised at how many people you're able to help.
3: Yeah. And we were, to be honest, somewhat surprised at first too, because when we started, we didn't, we knew that there was need in the community for sure, but we didn't know exactly how much need there was. And I think, um, People really want to get their kids involved in extracurricular activities and kids also want to do these community projects to help their, their, um, their communities. And some of these things are really, really expensive. I mean, I think most families would benefit from, you know, uh, an award of $500 or $1,000 that really goes a long way. And we're seeing more and more that, especially with inflation, that, middle-income families are struggling to afford some of these extracurricular activities that provide all of these benefits and skills that you're not going to learn in the classroom. And if middle and lower-income families don't have access to those things that upper-income families are going to have, that's just going to continue exacerbating the inequalities and inequities that we see in society.
1: No, I totally agree. So, You know, when we post this episode, of course, we'll link to the foundation um, and we'll put a little bit more information there. How do people, you know, do you take donations? Like, how do you fund all of this?
3: Yeah, there's plenty of ways for folks to support us. We definitely take donations on our website. Again, MichaelDeanGibbs.org. We also do events usually once or twice a year. As you were mentioning, Kelly, um, a dance studio last year put on a show uh, that in part benefited us. And we raised over $4,000 from that show alone. And later this uh, in the spring, we're going to do an event in a raffle where people can come and enjoy food and bid on some amazing prizes. And We do that on about a yearly basis and usually raise $10,000 to $20,000 from that event. We also get donations throughout the year and people can sign up on Kroger and Amazon and select us as their charity of choice. So whenever they make a purchase at Kroger or Amazon, part of that funding comes back to us. And that's been a great support over the years as well.
1: No that's amazing. I think we have a lot um Carrie and I both know that we have a lot of listeners that are in the Licking County area. So this is something that I think people can really jump into and give back to just because it's coming back to the community and um it's incredible what you're doing. So I would love to link to it and I'd love to share the event and all the things that are coming up
0: in the next
3: year. Yes, that would be great.
0: You know, I just wanted to say, I didn't actually know anything about this because it was Kelly's like, "Eh, just meet me online. And what's amazing is you see so many foundations kind of pouring money into big communities. You know, you see it all the time. And as wonderful as that is, I think maybe some of the smaller micro communities get get lost, overlooked, neglected, and I just love that you guys are bringing it back home. It's just, it's just really
2: inspiring and, and wonderful. Aw, thanks. And, and we try to keep, um, and the, the local businesses have been so super generous, um, in donating to our auction stuff and hosting events. Um, so this year we are actually, uh, on Thursday night meeting with the Dank House owners, Josh and Heather, and um josh and heather lang and we are going to most likely have our auction event at dank house this year um so local community members can come join us and we will have tons of uh auction items from local businesses and uh again the local businesses have been so generous in donating different items to auction off and other community members, um, without our businesses, our local businesses and a local community, we couldn't have this foundation.
1: It's no, I love that too. I love that again, full circle that you're giving back to the community and the community giving back to the foundation in a sense, because they see the good that's coming from that. So did you, do you feel like, is there anything that you feel like when you think of what Michael would think about this? Um, You know, how long did you start creating this after Michael passed? And do you go back to thinking about um, that when
2: you're even interviewing an applicant? Absolutely. So I think we started this and Kent, you can jump in. Um, We brainstormed soon after Michael had Passed away, and we actually surprised his family um, during his um, service of life or um, can't what what is it called?
3: His celebration of life, which was in May 2018. He had passed in January of 2018, so four months later on the, I believe it was Memorial Day weekend of that year his family had an, instead of a, a funeral, a celebration of life to really honor his legacy. And as Mariah was saying, we surprised his his all of his family and friends who were there and told them that we were going to launch the Michael Dean Gibbs Foundation in his honor and to continue his legacy. And then about a year later, we did our public launch for the community here in, in Licking County and held our first fundraiser. And then uh, the following year in 2020, we awarded our first scholarship. And we were so proud to be able to do that and actually bring this project to fruition. And our first scholarship winner was actually a Boy Scout who wanted to build a Gaga ball pit in his local park. I don't know if you know what a gaga ball pit is, but it's a, a hexagon or an octagon made of uh, usually wood, and you see them around parks. And it's you play in it with uh, probably six to ten kids. It's a similar game to dodgeball, but um, a little less uh, a little less intense, I'd say, and it's a lot of fun. So we're very proud to do that. Um, And then since then, we've we've awarded, like I said, um, over 30 scholarships and, and tens of thousands of dollars to kids in the community. It's been great.
1: I feel like, too, like even you saying that, Kent, like I know Adam well enough that I feel like I probably have a gist of Michael and his spirit and anyone that can hang with Mariah and Adam for a while. I feel like I have to know a little bit of who they are. And I feel like kids sharing their creativity and even something like that, like you have to see Michael coming through um, and even, you know, the chance of the, of these kids getting to share their ideas or how they want to want to make change in the community.
3: Yeah. I like to think about it that there's a little bit of Michael spread throughout the county and the kids will take what they've learned and done in this community forward. And so that eventually his spirit will be throughout the world.
1: I love that. I love that. Okay. So, you know, wrapping, is there anything that you would want the listeners to know about Michael or about the foundation? Um, you know, I want to make sure all the listeners know how to help. And if they also, maybe they know someone, um, you know, at school or in their community or a family member, even that maybe would have something that they would like to apply. I will connect all of that. But but is there anything else that you would want to share about Michael or the foundation?
3: So the one thing that I definitely want to share before we go is uh, the the kid that I was talking about earlier who is helping her school with the project of making food, clothes, and toiletries available. uh, We're actually going to help her with a drive collection in the coming weeks. Uh, We haven't launched it officially yet. So I guess this is the first news of it, but we will uh, send you the um, event information for that and how people can donate to that cause and and really make this kids' project a success.
2: Yeah. And with COVID, I think that schools were hit and families were hit very, very hard and um, people went without. And so we've really been trying to have different drives um, to help out members of our community that might be you know, struggling right now with getting food on the table or providing clothes um, for their kids. And um, this gives them the opportunity to give to their community and help out, especially during these difficult times.
1: No, I totally agree. I feel like um, the pandemic has hit so many really, really, really hard. And I think, um, you know, Kent, you mentioned earlier inflation right now, I think we just don't even really, really know, you know, all the families that are really struggling right now to, you know, kind of get back on their feet and to get a new normalcy, whether it's um, just, you know, with working and family or financially. So I I love that that's one of the projects that you chose and that that's um, really what you're putting everything into in the coming weeks.
2: And can I mention one more thing before we go? I, I it would be remiss if I didn't um, mention our board. So we have board members. And as Kent said, with the application process, so we they fill out their application and then um, we review it. And if it's for a higher dollar amount, our board reviews the applicants and then we will interview our applicants. And um, the board has taken a lot of time um, to help with auctions, to help with um, reading over applicants, interviewing applicants, having drives. And um, they are all community members that live in Licking County. And um, they are Stephanie Athen. Jenny Krause, and um, Stephanie and Jenny, um, both are teachers, and Sam Stearns, who owns Songbird Transitions, and she does a lot also in our community helping kids in foster care. Um, Her business, she and her husband own a business, and they help people downsize. And with the extra things that they gather, they're able to furnish kids that are in foster care with couches and kitchen stuff and and they've been really um helpful to our community and um also uh jocelyn haller and um she's our kind of our marketing uh guru and um does do our she's the one that provides posts online and so with the help of everybody it makes it a lot easier to run this foundation
1: no i'm i'm so glad that you mentioned the board members, because I know how hard um, knowing a couple of you, I know how hard you work and how near and dear this is to your heart. So I I can't imagine the time and the efforts that has been put into starting this foundation, keeping the foundation moving. You know, through the last year during the pandemic, and then making it what it is to really, you know, celebrate Michael's life and um, really just promote so many opportunities for children in the community.
3: Yeah, we really couldn't do it without them. And to, again, as Brian was saying, the businesses who have helped us, like Patty's Dance Center 1922, Bella's Beans and Homestead Beer, as well as just so many members of the community. Um, and, and folks like you, Kelly and Carrie, for having us on to help us spread the word. We, we really appreciate it. So thank you so much for, for the, doing this for us.
2: Yeah. And hopefully we um, have a big party at, at Dank House this summer in early June and we can meet some of, you know, the community members that we might not have, we haven't been able to meet yet.
1: No, I'm so excited about that. Like pandemic is over, so it's time to celebrate and be together. And I can't wait to hear, you know, how that, found you know, how the foundation does from that event and so much more. And just even good for the community to know all that you're doing for, you know, the children of our community and how that's gonna help the future of Licking County. And who knows, the world, Kent. And
3: the world. We're not stopping till we get the world, Kelly.
1: Find that scientist that finds the, you know, cure for, you know, ALS and so many other things. So I thank you for um, all that you do. Every day for that foundation. I loved hearing more about Michael, and really, you know, this starting off for for him and helping him live on. And thank you for giving your time tonight to share what all of you are doing. And I know you're so very passionate about.
3: Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, thank you, Kelly and um, and Carrie. We really appreciate your time, and uh, we look forward to meeting you, Carrie, in the near future. And hopefully we'll see you soon, Kelly. And hopefully you can come to our next event. I know I will be at at your next event for sure. Thanks so much for joining us today.
0: I'll link all of the ways you can help the foundation down in the show notes. And if you will honor us with a five-star rating interview anywhere you get your podcast. it really helps us grow you can find us on twitter at grass underscore podcast and on instagram at grand rev creative thanks so much for being here we really appreciate you and have an amazing week this is greener grass you know, the world is just so small because I saw that name and I'm like, he's, he's from the Newark area. What is the chances that there's a completely different Hebel family?
3: Yeah, that's got to be a pretty rare name. Yeah, they are my cousins, Bethany and Kevin and Brian and then my sisters, Mariah Okay. and Adam Hebel also went to Newark Catholic.
0: Okay, wait, this is blowing my mind. She said Mariah, but I just, she didn't give me last name. I know Mariah Hebel, not know her, but like... Okay, I I need to start looking for my yearbooks right now because, no, and then Kevin was in my sister's class. Okay. Okay, I'm putting this all together. This is amazing. (laughs) Because, yeah, Mariah went to dance at Patty's. Both of you did. Both of you did. Did Mariah ever go to Jones? It's like definitely years possible. That? I think
3: she, you know, I feel like she went to Avante before she went to Patty's, but she was very young.
0: Why do I know that name? Is that like the gymnastics yes. gym? Oh my God. Oh my God. There's things that, about my hometown that I have not thought about in 30 <laughs> years. And then I just remember it like it's back yeah. there,
3: you know? I know. That's insane. Um, so when did you go out to LA right after you graduated
0: high school? Actually, I spent a year in D.C. because I thought I was going to go into politics. I had a political science degree oh, awesome. from Oberlin. Okay. I went to Oberlin, mm-hmm. close to Cleveland, and uh, just like realized that I was more of an artist than anything else. So moved out here in twenty in two two thousand, yeah, two thousand. I'm here. Na- so it's Where like twenty two. Twenty two years now right now i'm living in an apartment in van nuys i was in north hollywood for many many years uh hey cal oh my god i know this whole family i know i wondered if you didn't know that you knew that like i assume maybe you did did mariah go to jones when she was younger i doubt it (laughs) Okay, I'm I'm so confused about that because either I know her from Saint Francis North Catholic or Jones, but I know this name. Kevin Hebel is definitely somebody that was like two classes over. Did, did, yeah, did Mariah so, never danced at Jones? Did she? I can't remember.
3: I mean, I was We just talked about well, that. by the time I was alive or conscious, she was at Patty's. But I know she went somewhere before. I don't know if it was Avante or Joan or somewhere else you might have
1: been avante i feel better about that okay how
3: are you <laughs> <laughs> how are you Ken? oh you're asking me i'm doing very well i um actually just had nose surgery i didn't get a nose job i, I my what? De- oh sorry my septum was deviated so i couldn't breathe out of the.
0: oh that's the excuse everyone I has know.
3: Kent. but i didn't use it as an excuse to get a nose job when i should have and i regret it Um, Because it was very painful, and I don't get any benefit out of it except I can breathe, which I guess is good.
0: So you didn't ask them to shave it down or anything, like I. No, I feel like it's actually they made it actually
3: bigger because it's still inflamed from the surgery.
0: You know, totally off the topic, Kelly. I'm sorry, but there's I have a couple friends here in LA that have gotten nose jobs, and they look so different. (laughs) Like the my whole Children are
1: driving me bananas tonight, you guys. And it's month end. So our boss like lets us buy whatever for dinner. Like, because we work until like one in the morning or whatever. And my kids, I could not talk them anything into anything except they
0: wanted Bob Evans. Just so you know. So very what? Ohio, right? Oh, but you know what? I haven't had Bob Evans breakfast in a long time. Oh I'd love to have gosh. that Oh my gosh. I was like, let's get
1: steaks. Let's get like Fettuccine. Let's get like, I went through like a million things and they wanted Bob Evans. So they just ate their, do you, do you, do you feel like that was a good decision on their part? Kat?
3: I think so. I actually, that was one of the things that I ate while immediately recovering from surgery. And it's so nostalgic for me because it is so Ohio and I haven't had it in so long. Um, So being back here and having some Bob Evans was amazing I do agree that if you have like you know can spend whatever you want and if someone else is paying for you I feel like I would not choose Bob Evans but
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know see Kelly you've got you've got two people who aren't always there and we'll have like I'll have a red lobster mm-hmm. moment sometimes yes. I'll have you know what I'm saying and it doesn't mean that it's great food it's just that it just brings me back but you live there so it's not like you're having nostalgia for Bob Evans, but are their biscuits still good? Um, I can't say that the biscuits tonight, were this was an amazing commercial for Bob Evans until <laughs> I just said,
1: we're not amazing tonight. But I mean, listen, we door-dashed it and I mean, I don't know. So there's that too. Um, it's funny the things that, so Jeff's parents are from Canada and they love Olive Garden. Like when they come to the U.S., Really? They want to take. They want to go straight <laughs> to
0: Olive Garden, and I think that's so funny. You, you know, people have that about In and Out here in LA, like or on the West Coast. Like the talk about In and Out is so much more than the reality. Yeah, listen, it. I
1: hadn't. I, I'm saying, listen you know? again. I hadn't had it for. I had never had it, and people kept telling me, telling me I had to have In and Out. I know it's too high. And then when I now. went, I mean, it was good it wasn't you know I mean? it wasn't
0: like to die for. absolutely no like if you had never heard of it and you stumbled upon yeah. it you would have been like oh my god this is great yeah. people hate the fries but the thing is about the fries is that it's real potatoes like they cut them right okay. there and then they put them in the fryer so th- there's no there's no you know they're not made from anything else and so that's why people like them but they're, you know, they don't taste like a McDonald's french fry because it's real. So I have never been a french you know? fry person. Oh my God. I'm so, it's my, it's my Pizza only thing. is
1: my thing. And I threw away like a half a pizza today because cheat last night, last night we got pizza, but I knew that if the pizza stayed in the refrigerator that I would 1 million percent have a piece of pizza today, if not two, if not three pieces. So I just threw half a piece of pizza away. That's probably... I mean, pizza is not so bad for you. The amount of pizza that I eat is probably significant. Got it. Okay. Okay. So, quantity, I over can take down some pizza. I guess. So, but I am more normally a steal a fry from a person kind of girl. Um, See, that's why I,
0: I don't ever eat my fries around people. Because people will steal your fries.
1: Yeah, fuck that. So good to know if we next we go out to eat as we not on the fries because I will just feel
0: too. I will feel too. This is going to be a really great outtake for when we're waiting for our guests to...